question I have is, when was a time in your life where you have felt just so overwhelmed and overcome with love? Maybe it was your last birthday. Maybe you called some friends and some of them showed up, but then there were even more that just overwhelming you, overwhelmingly surprised you, more than you could even imagine. I see some new parents in here. There's a, uh, in the back standing holding the baby. I, I remember my, the, the birth of my daughter, I, I wept uh, to a point where it was in 2021, to a point where, uh, where I was wearing a mask. The nurse actually said, do you need a new mask? You've actually saturated your mask with just snot and tears. And I said, yes, please, thank you. I was just overcome with love. Maybe it was uh, your wedding day. Maybe you were just standing up there and watching your bride or even walking towards your groom was just so overwhelmingly full of God's love. Well, for me, it's this little girl. I've, I've, yes, it is, as you guys point out, every single time, it's not a sermon from Stephen Huggins if I don't talk about Ellie. I don't think I'm going to talk about my van today. I don't have plans to, but we'll see. <laughs> it always comes in somehow. But this is little Ellie girl. That's me and her looking at cows in the middle. Oof. And then her just making faces and happy, and she's just so full of joy. And for the entire time she's been alive, I've been trying, even before she could talk, I've been trying to get her to say, I love you, Dad. And sometimes I can, like, twist her arm into saying, figuratively, twist her arm into saying, I love you, Dad. Uh, but, but it was always uh, solicited. It was always because I said, please say, I love you, Dad. Please, I want to hear this. And what really melted me the very first time was I was walking out the door. I think it was a Tuesday morning because Hannah was getting ready for mops. I was walking out the door, and Ellie, unsolicited, said, I love you, Dad. Literally what she said was, Lalu Dada. She, <laughs> she's figuring stuff out. <laughs> Vs are difficult to pronounce, I guess. But this little girl looked at me and said, Lalu Dada. And man, oh man, I set my stuff down, ran back in, and gave her the biggest hug. I, I felt it. It was, I know she loves me, I think. I, I think she loves me. I, I know that I love her, and I know that she has just brightened our world, and she is so full of joy, and she is just so fun to be around, and she loves so well. But in that moment, when she said it on her own without me soliciting it or begging, it just melted me. And my conviction today is that in the text we're going to look at, that that's a feeling that, that is just going to be completely and radically trumped. As incredible as that feeling is, as life-transforming as that love from community, from a child, from family, from, from the college group, uh, when you're in the midst of a trial, that, that love is just a glimpse of what we have in Jesus. So pray with me and we're going to jump in to Ephesians. God, thank you for being so good. Thank you for the love that you have and will continue to pour out on each and every one of us. God, thank you for the reminder that you are near in easy times, in middle-of-the-road times, and in trying difficult times. God, thank you for being near. God, as we unpack your text today, uh, we do ask for just an extra glimpse of that warm embrace that overflowing, lavish love from you. We pray this all for your glory and for our joy. 
Now, Ephesians chapter 1, we've talked about this last week. I think last two weeks we talked about it. But it's one long run-on sentence from verses 3 through 14. And so last week Todd covered this. I don't feel like it's appropriate to pull out just one single text without reading the first line of it. So I'm going to start in verse 3, which Todd covered. We're not coming back to it, but we're going to look at this real quick. It says this, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Here's our text for today. In him, in the beloved, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Here's our big idea for today. Because of his grace... Because of the grace of God, he has lavished his extravagant love upon us. He is so, so good. He is so full of love, so full of grace. Here it is in the text. The first point we're going to unpack is we experience his lavish love most fully in Jesus. We're going to answer two questions today and then an honorable mention of a third question. But the two is, where do we experience this love Where can we find this lavish, unparalleled, overflowing, overwhelming, lavish love? Where is the source? Where can we find this love? And then the second thing is going to be, for how long do we get to experience it? When did it begin? When will it end? How long? What is the scope of this love? Will it run out? So here it is. The first point is because of it, we experience his lavish love most fully because forgiveness and redemption are in him. It says this in verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And then it ends in verse 10 as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Now, a lot of you have already noticed this, but it says in him quite a few times. Is that fair to say? This full first run-on sentence, last week, this week, and next week, it says in him quite a few times, and then it's, if you include in Christ, or in Christ Jesus, or in the Father, it, it, it's, it's overwhelming. This passage is just dripping with the idea of being in him. And it's actually interesting, I, this is kind of me cheating, I reorganized some things, I'm waiting for a lightning bolt to hit me, but I reorganized it because this is actually what the original, this, the, 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 the sentence structure of the original text of this, it begins and ends in him. Paul talks about how we've been chosen and adopted as sons, we've been predestined to life with Jesus, and then he comes back at the very end, next week we'll see it, to the same idea, and he's isolating this idea that in him, there is life. Really, that's the definition of the Christian faith, isn't it? That is, that is what Christian living is. It is life in Christ. We can look all around. We can look all around for meaning and for love. But at the end of the day, it is most simply stated, there is love in him. The ultimate source is in him. He goes on, in him, what do we have in him? We have redemption we have forgiveness. He has paid us, paid for us with a cost. We have been redeemed 
The ransom has been paid. We have been redeemed in Jesus. That is good news. But the follow-up question for me in my mind is the redemption and, and forgiveness. What have we been redeemed from? And I look at where my life was headed. Again, I was a good kid. I think I've shared that a handful of times. I was a good kid. My parents are here. I think that's a true statement that, that I did not get in trouble. I was a good kid. And so when I, when I think about what I've been redeemed from, if you look at my life just on paper, like in some ways a lot is just the same. I stayed out of jail, never woke up in a gutter, never, you know, never, never failed the class, never, never got in trouble, never got sent to the principal's office. That's, I was late, actually. I was late to school one time and uh, 10 times, and I got a Saturday detention for being late to school 10 times. I think I was about two minutes late. Um, what are you going to do? But, but really, that's the biggest trouble I've been in. I got a speeding ticket one time. I'm going to try to air my dirty laundry. But for the most part, I think about my life, and, and really, I, I haven't done that much on paper that's bad. But what have I been redeemed from? Even as a good kid, even as someone who is following the law for the most part, looking like a Christian, living a good God-honoring life on paper, I was destined for separation from Jesus because I wasn't actually treasuring the greatest source of all love and all joy. I was actually walking a path of destruction, separated from God, looking like I was living a good life, but I was separated, and he redeemed me. He paid the price. He brought me to God. I was in the way. I was trying to earn my way, but God, through his son, redeemed and forgave me. And this isn't just sins. It's interesting that he doesn't choose the word sins. He doesn't forgive our sins. That is a true statement. He does forgive our sins. But in this text, he's not saying specifically it's my sins. It's the things I've ever done wrong that have separated me from God. He's actually saying the, the, the things that I've done intentionally. Transgressions is an intentional word choice by Paul here. Whereas it's the actual intentional, uh, you see the boundary line and you intentionally step over it. There's an actual intentionality behind it. There's a, there's a premeditated intent of this sin against God and this trespass against God. God has forgiven it in him. In Jesus, we are forgiven. We are redeemed. There was a price that had to be paid. We sang it this morning. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash my sins away? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This text, golly, it is just so rich. When we get into Ephesians, I was just excited. We spent some time in John looking at the entire scope, the narrative of the gospel of John. Then we got into Acts where we're preaching, again, big, longer stories and finding the principles. And then you get to Paul, the author of Ephesians, and it feels like every little word has a meaning behind it. It feels like it's, it's interpreted in the context of the whole uh, context of Scripture, but it feels like every word is just so dense. We were in Montana a few weeks ago with Ellie. Some of those photos are from that. And she would just go to the riverside and grab every single rock and just stare at it. And it felt like she was meditating on it. She was just glued to that one rock and then she'd throw it. And then she'd grab another rock and just hold it and stare at it and love it and hug it and say, Dad, look. And then she'd throw it again. And it feels like that's what we get to do in Paul, too, with all these, these ideas. These, these rocks are just, these words are just rocks to be overturned and meditated on, and they are so dense, and he's using every word so intentionally, and through his blood, he could have said through his good life, through his honoring life, but there's something special in the blood of Jesus. There's nothing that can wash our sins away apart from Jesus. He loved us to go to the cross and shed his blood. 
So we find it in him because immeasurable grace never runs dry in him. He's forgiven us and he's redeemed us. And his grace will never, ever, ever run dry. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. I was thinking about Elon Musk. His money is never going to run out. Mark Zuckerberg, Zuck, as they call him, creator of Facebook. The guy's money is never going to run out. Um, uh, I mean, just go down the line. Warren Buffett, their money is never, ever going to run out. They have these, 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 these worldly pledges, these riches that are never going to run out. But how much more is the spiritual blessing? How much more is the spiritual depth of riches? Their money will never run out, but God's riches of his grace are never ending. Can't spend it fast enough. He is so, so good to us. To overflow his riches. We have redemption through his blood. We have forgiveness of our trespasses according, on the basis of, because of God's good, good grace that will never run dry. Sometimes I look at my life and the, the trespasses that I, that I have against him the trespasses, the ways that I intentionally go wrong, which prayerfully are continuing to shrink more and more. This is the journey of faith. But as I look at my life, and man, oh man, even as a good kid, I have done so much wrong. I have trespassed against God so many times. And then the question comes up, is, this, is God ever going to run out of this forgiveness? Is he ever going to run out of just the overflowing goodness in this text? I... I don't see evidence for God's grace running out. The riches, the immeasurable depth of his grace. Oh, he is a good, good God. And finally, we experience his lavish love most fully in Jesus because perfect love, perfect love is poured out in him. And really, this is going to be the crux of our text for today. In him, we have redemption through the blood through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. I shot a video this week of uh, walking through this text, and as I was listening to my voice editing it, and I heard, my, I heard myself say the word lavish so many times that I realized I say it kind of funny. So if it sounds kind of funny, forgive me. I'm just saying the same word over. It's like Eminem. If you say Eminem so many times, it's like, wow, I just said the same word, and it just like sounds weird, messes with your brain. But, but he lavished his grace, he lavished his love upon us. When we think about the overwhelming, overflowing, when Ellie looks at me and says, I love you, Dad, unsolicited, without me begging her, and I just melt, it feels like she has lavished love on me. But in this text, it is just a glimpse of the lavish love, the lavish grace that God has for us. It is just overwhelming how good he is. He lavished it upon us. Now, we sang a song this morning, The Reckless Love of God, and I, I, I love the song. When we sing reckless, I don't think what we're saying is literally reckless in our terms. I don't think the reckless love is necessarily meaning like reckless driving. Like I'm not thinking about what I'm doing, I'm just going crazy. I don't think that's what, I hope that's not what the original author of, of, uh, of that song is, is trying to communicate. Because God's love is so overwhelming and lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight was calculated 
This wasn't plan B. This wasn't just, oh, shoot, i got to figure out something to, to save my people. No, no, this was a plan all along. He, he's chosen to wisely and, and, and with all insight overflow his love onto us, knowing that he loves us so, so much, which was the plan all along. He lavishes his love upon us so much better than a little two-year-old can saying, I love you, Dad. Or sometimes she'll run up and give me this warm hug. She comes up and hugs my leg. And it is just so, so overwhelming with love. But it's just a glimpse. It's just a glimpse. Because experiencing that love transforms you in a special way, doesn't it? Experiencing that love of God transforms you. Experiencing the love of a child transforms you. Experiencing the love in community transforms you. And again, it's a glimpse of the love that the Father has for us. He's so, so good. So he experiences love most lavishly and most fully in Jesus. And we experience his never-ending love for all time. For eternity past, for eternity future, his love is not going anywhere. It does not run dry. It does not run out. It does not shrink or diminish. This overwhelming, overflowing love is going to continue on from eternity past to eternity future. And we get to experience it because his grace has been the plan all along. I don't know about you, but if I'm thinking about a plan to redeem humankind, I'm probably not going to start with the death of my child. It's not the first place my mind goes. Uh, thankfully, I am not the creator of the universe. Because when I think about that, it's, it, it's so extreme. But if you look at the, the whole story of the gospel, the story of the gospel, there was no other way. And how incredible is the sacrifice, the love that God has given us. It says this, We'll start in 7 again. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. God in Christ has made known to us the mystery of his will. Now, the word mystery is pretty fascinating. Um, I don't think it's like a Scooby-Doo, like mystery machine kind of mystery, although those are really fun and exciting and engaging. Um, no, this is, this is a, a plan that has been set already, and we just cannot quite fathom it yet. But in Jesus, in Jesus, the plan has been made known more and more and more. There's a story in the book of Daniel, chapter 2, that uses this same word multiple times over and over and over again. And really, it's the story of uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, or if you're a VeggieTales fan, it's Nebuchadnezzar, and uh, with Rackshack and Benny. But it's Nebuchadnezzar. He has a dream that he cannot interpret, and so Daniel, a master dream interpreter, is in, empowered by God. God in, uh, opens Daniel's eyes to this so that there's this confusing, there's a story about something going on, and I just don't understand it. What is going on? And Daniel is the one who's able to interpret and enlighten and open the eyes to the story of the dream. And in a similar way, this is a plan all along. God has already revealed the plan, but it is just so muddled in certain ways. The plan of, of, of bringing people back to him, really the plan of including the Gentiles, as we're going to see in chapter 3 as we continue on, the Gentiles are now included, people outside of the Jewish faith. You and I are now included into the family of God because Jesus has rescued us and made a way. We do not any longer have to become Jewish to have an encounter with God. He opens it to all nations. The plan was all along to reach 
all of the nations, all of mankind. And he chose to use his chosen people who over and over made mistakes and over and over went the wrong way and over and over turned their back on God and over and over did things that were outside of what would logically make sense to try and redeem the world. But the plan all along was in this confusing, muddled, uh, hard to understand, hard to interpret way, God has used that plan to reach you and me. The plan all along was to rescue us. The plan all along was to redeem us. We misunderstood it along the way over and over. The whole Testament's full of stories of us misunderstanding all along the journey. But it was to get to a point where Paul in Acts chapter 9, God says, I've chosen this man to reach the Gentiles. He's a chosen instrument to reach the Gentiles. No, it didn't look like it was going to make sense earlier on. Two chapters ago, he was stoning people, literally killing Christians. No, it didn't look like it was going to make sense. But all along the way, I had a plan. It looks like it's all wiggly-woggly. But at the end of the day, the plan, the mystery, to include the nations into the fold of God has been the plan all along. And he has made known to us this mystery. He's opened our eyes. He's enlightened it according to his purpose. His purpose that he set forth. Oh, sorry. Chapter 1 earlier on. His purpose. This was his purpose all along, which he set forth in Christ. This is what it said last week in the text last week. Blessed be God, the Father of Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. The plan all along was that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. He's chosen us to be holy and blameless. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. The plan all along. The plan all along was to bring us back to the Father, to make a way to bring us back to the Father. Those who were originally excluded from God's chosen people, it looked like there was no way. But because of God's lavish love, because of the love, God had a way, and it didn't just find a way somewhere along the journey. The plan all along was to return us to right relationship with God. He set this forth in Christ. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Again, another example of just this Christian life is in Christ. Really, where is life found outside of Jesus? <laughs> Nothing that lasts will be found outside of him. That is the source. He is the source. He set forth this plan in Christ. Christ clarifies, Christ, Christ accomplishes this plan. So that's eternity past. The plan all along was to have this never-ending love. But we look forward. As we look forward, we see more of it as well. Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. As a plan for the fullness of time, the time that is coming. We're living in this interesting tension of uh, people call it the already not yet. Christ's kingdom is here. The church is established. We have right relationship with God, but there's even more to come. We have not yet fully experienced the ultimate redemption, the ultimate life with Jesus. At some point, he will come back and make all things new. And we have so much joy and love poured out on us now. And I just can't wait to be living with him for all eternity. 
for all eternity, we have been fully, officially, legal, and ultimately redeemed. And we get to just walk in his presence face to face. There is so much ahead. This love has not run out. It is not running out at the moment. And it will not run out. It will never run out. This love that he has for us, there is so much more to come. Those warm embraces the experience we have in our community is just a glimpse. Just a glimpse. The overflowing love I feel when I see the face of Ellie and my family is going to pale in comparison when I see the face of Jesus. Can't wait. I'm loving every second of life right now. It is full of joy. It is full of love. It is full of life. It is full of experiencing his grace here and now. But ultimately, he's going to redeem all of creation, all of mankind. And in the fullness of time, he's going to unite all things in him. Right now, it's generally clear to see that the church answers to Jesus. There's a lot going on outside of the church that does not answer to Jesus right now, it seems. It feels like the world is kind of in chaos in a lot of ways. But there's a time coming where all things are going to be united. All things are going to be subjected under his rulership his rule and his reign where he is ruling the kingdom and we get to experience the kingdom of God at his feet. There's more love to come. We have so, so, so much right now. He has just poured it out on us. He has overflowed in an overwhelming, lavish way upon us by saving us by, because of his grace but there's so much more to come. All things in heaven and all things on earth are going to be united in him. Lion and lamb together. Oof, what a day. We experience his never-ending love for all time. It's been the plan all along. It's the plan forevermore. There's more to come. So how do we experience that now? What does it look like for us to now experience this ultimate lavish joy, love, grace, this warm embrace, this love, this I love you, dad, or even more specifically the text, I love you, son and daughter. How do we experience more of that here and now? I think the tension for me is that historically it's turned into effort. It's turned into I need to do things to earn this. It kind of feels like a Chinese finger trap or a finger handcuffs, uh, whatever, you, whatever the appropriate thing to call them is. But the, 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 you know the, the things you put on your fingers and you, the more you pull, the more you're stuck the more effort we put into this, the more we actually find ourselves stuck and the way we try and earn our own way to God, we're just binding ourselves, we're just handcuffing ourselves and the more we pull, the more we try, the more we try and earn our way, the more difficult it becomes. Why? Because Jesus has already paid for it. And our effort sometimes actually gets in the way of our redemption because we're trying to earn our own redemption, earn our own forgiveness. We're trying so hard to just do the right things and we're pulling and kicking and pulling and struggling along the way, but in reality, the way we experience it now is by enjoying him because he has done it. So how do we experience more? <laughs> Simple answer. The Holy Spirit exists to open our eyes to the goodness of Jesus, to illuminate the text, and to remind us of how stinking blessed we are. Ask God for more of it. God, I want to feel more of your love. And I don't want this to feel like a punt because it is easy to just skip over this one. Ask God for more of his love. But, but, 
but I really do think that this is something that we overlook. Instead of asking God for it, we try and earn it, which is the exact opposite of the way it's supposed to go. I find myself in that trap all the time too. I try and work hard for something because I think it, hard work is good, but I try and work hard to earn something, and this is the opposite of the gospel. The harder we work for it, the more distracted from the good, free, incredible, overwhelming, overflowing, lavish love that God has poured out on us. So we ask God for more of it. The Holy Spirit exists to love on us like this. And now the human responsibility side, we enjoy and we think. Last week, Todd brought the fence out, which has made its appearance a handful of times over the last decade or so. But the fence is where we, we reach our limit of what we can comprehend about who God is. We are comprehensive. He is incomprehensible and we have limited. He is infinite. We are finite. We, we press on towards the end of what we can possibly understand about this incomprehensible God. And the further we get, the closer, sorry, the closer we get towards the fence, we can peer beyond the fence just a little bit and then just a little bit and then just a little bit. And we try and approach this fence, we think about his text, we think about his word, we think about this book that God wrote, and it expands our mind, and we just get to a point where we cannot comprehend it, and that is where such beautiful worship happens, such overwhelming love and comfort in Jesus. That's fantastic. This is what changed my life, learning to treasure Jesus from the ideas that God actually wrote. And I get to read and try and understand what he's communicating to me. It changed my life. It gave me the warmest embrace that I've ever experienced. But I think a lot of the time, that's what's scary. That's what's scary is to reach the unknowable, to try and approach the unknowable, where we experience these tensions. Last week we talked about, I'm responsible, God is sovereign, oof. God is three, God is one, oof, beats me. God is fully human, truly human, truly divine. These are tensions I can't wrap my mind around. And I think the best place in the Christian faith in a lot of ways is to say, I don't know. And that is where worship genuinely happens and we can press further, further into, I don't know, but there is a good, big, incredible God. And we learn to enjoy and think on his word. And then finally, we go to the fence. In him. In Christ, how do we experience more of this love, more of this lavish love? We keep pressing towards the fence. And I love doing that in the context of community. I think life groups are a fantastic place for that. You get to experience the love of God and the love of people in the community around you. Oof, it is a special, special time. But I think we miss out on a lot of this love. We miss out on a lot of this experience of his lavish love and grace that he's poured out upon us because it's, sometimes it feels like the illustration Todd used of wrestling to no end. We wrestle and we say, no, that wasn't worth it. But the bigger, clearer picture of who God is that we can learn to understand and unpack in our own lives, ah, oh, man, the clearer image of God's love that I have, the more clearly and appropriately I can love others. The more clearly and appropriately I can understand that God's love will not run dry. The more I can understand that God loves his people and it is overwhelming. So our mission for this week is to experience that lavish love. As we read through the texts, we've been challenged before to read through, if you can, the whole book of Ephesians in one sitting. It only takes a handful of minutes. It's not that long of a book. If not that, then just a chapter at a time. It'll take you probably about a minute. As you read it, 
and you're reading over it in the bigger, broader contexts. And in the midst of that, you're overturning these little stones, looking at each one, seeing the intricacies of everything. You see how well God has crafted this story, this mystery that he has revealed to include us into the fold of God. We just get blown away. We read and we think and we talk to other people. And so we're just astounded by this great, great love of God. Pray with me. God, thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for your overwhelming love. Thank you for the lavish love that you have poured out on your people. God, thank you for the, the complexity, but also the simplicity of this text. That at the end of the day, you've poured your love. You've poured your grace on your chosen people. God, thank you for doing this, making this a plan before the foundations of the world, before the beginning of time. God, before we even knew what was going on, thank you for having that plan that you have slowly and incredibly and masterfully revealed to us with all wisdom and insight in the person of Jesus. Thank you so much for your love. God, I pray that we experience that warm, loving embrace all the more this week. I pray this for your glory and for our joy. Amen.